We've been doing these scripture mashups where we take a, a story and then sh and mix it with a story that happened 30 years later. And we're doing that because we're in a series that we're calling Life Interrupted. And we believe that God has a habit of interrupting. Uh, the Christmas story is probably, no, not probably, it is the greatest interruption in human history, right? God broke through history. History was written and up to the, the point before Jesus entered uh, at that first Christmas, uh, humanity was far from heaven and far from and separated from God. And Jesus chooses to come to planet Earth as a baby. And it was an interruption into our histories. Uh, God left heaven to come to Earth. He left his throne to become a human baby. It was the greatest interruption in history, and that's why Christmas is our Super Bowl, all right? We're fortunate in that we have two Super Bowls, really. We have Christmas and we have Easter. Uh, I was, I was uh, talking with someone, and they uh, uh, and I'm going to share the story of Christmas Eve, so I'm going to give you a really brief version, but they said she knows I'm a pastor, and uh, I was in a doctor's office getting blood work done, and it's a regular thing for me for a blood this thing that I have going on. It's no big deal. I'm healthy and all but I have to make sure they check my blood to make sure I'm alive, I guess. And uh, uh, she said to me, well, Easter's really your big deal. There isn't that big, it isn't that big of a deal about Christmas, is it? And I said, except that God chose to come to earth as a baby. It's really not that big a deal. <laughs> and then she laughed at me, and we had a little conversation about it, but I'll talk to you more about that Christmas Eve, or excuse me, next week at our Christmas service. So it is the greatest, the greatest interruption in human history. So next week is our family Christmas service. It's going to be right here in this space at 1030. Some of you have already been asked to participate with your families. So we're going to have uh, boys and girls reading scriptures, and you're all going to be reading them together as families, uh, the Willenda families here, and they're going to read right? You're all, back. you're all going to be back from all your places, and you're going to read. I'm looking forward to it, Casey, hearing you read scripture. <laughs> Don't blow it. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you, uh, if you have friends, family uh, to invite, this is the, the best, one of the best times to invite someone to church is at Christmas time. It's when they're most likely going to receive an invitation and uh, respond positively. So we have postcards, uh, we have uh, invite cards there. We have them spread all over the space uh, and you should have got them as well. But if you didn't, grab one and please encourage your your friends and family to join us because what seems like an interruption now, later, it can change the trajectory of our lives. This morning, instead of talking about interruptions, though, I want to talk about, I want to focus on our response to an interruption, our response to an interruption. So you heard in the stories that were read about the shepherds that the shepherds were at night and they were watching and they were caring for their sheep. And uh, I have a, a, an interesting theory on shepherds. Uh, it's not my theory. I read it and, and uh, have adopted it as my own. What I love about the Christmas story is there's a lot of detail, but there's also not a lot of detail. And so there's definitely some ideas and some thoughts and some theories in a sense about what happened on that first uh, Christmas morning. Was, was Jesus born in a cave? Was Jesus born in a, in a, in a manger, stall, animal area. Where was Jesus born? Was he born? Uh, I read an interesting article that he likely would have been born in that town and there would have been midwives available to him. It was a very interesting article about that. And so there's all these different thoughts because we have detail, but we don't have 
a lot of detail about that. So there's some, there's some area where we can wonder. And so one of the things that I wonder about is the shepherds. They were out watching their flocks at night, and it's possible that they weren't local farmers because local farmers would have brought their flocks back to their homes and would have been in their area together in their, in, their, in their pen where they would have kept them, that local farmers would bring their sheep back each night. They didn't watch their flocks outside at night if they could help it. But it's possible that these were a different type of shepherd. They were shepherds that, in a sense, uh, volunteered or worked for the church. They were kind of priestly shepherds and that they were watching over lambs that were raised as sacrificial lambs, that they were lambs that would be used in the temple for sacrifices. And they weren't priests, but they were, they were kind of like serving the temple. They, were, uh, the, they had a religious intent to why they did their work. And so while the shepherds are doing this job, Luke tells us, they were interrupted by an angel, and then they're in- interrupted by several angels, and the shepherds respond and say, hey, let's go. Let's go see this thing that's happened, right? Now, the shepherds go. The angels didn't really give them any direction. They just said it's in Bethlehem. Now, while Bethlehem was a small town, it wasn't so small that you would just know where the baby would be, unless you maybe listened for crying. I'm not sure. Uh, But there's no real direction or no, no location given except Bethlehem. And the angels said, you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths. I think this is another reason why uh, there's a clue here Luke is giving is what kind of shepherds these were, that these were priestly shepherds or shepherds that worked for priests because the priestly shepherds, when sheep were born, when lambs were born, they would wrap them so that they would not uh, get injured uh, early on after, after being birthed. And so wanna-be, they want to have sheep and lambs without blemish. And so it's possible that when the angel says, you'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, that that was a signal to the shepherds or that, that, ah, we know exactly where this baby will be born. I could talk about shepherds for a long time. But what I want to note is in Luke chapter 2, verse 17 to 20, it's up on the screen, after seeing the baby Jesus, after the interruption, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And verse 20 says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So the shepherds had this one big night. One big night, they tell their story, and then they go back to their flocks. Now, 30 years later, we have that other story that we mashed together. It's Peter. Peter and his fishing buddies are out working, and they're washing their nets. Now, Peter and his friends are not fishing for enjoyment. They're fishing for employment, all right? This is their job, all right? They are professional fishermen, and nets need to be checked, and nets need to be cleaned after every fishing trip because they're checking to make sure that there's no fray in the lines, that there's no knots that have come undone, that there's nothing on there that would cause cause the nets to rot. And so they meticulously would lay the nets out and go through every knot and every strand and make sure that the nets 
are in good shape. They're working hard at their job. And Jesus interrupts Peter and his work associates. And he says, and he said, while they are at work, while they're at work, while they're busy, Jesus says, Hey, I want to borrow your boat. Now, it seems that in the first century, borrowing a boat is the same way we borrow trucks. All right? We don't ever, when someone who has a truck, the guys in the back there who pull the trailer, they know this kind of experience. Uh, if you have a truck, I've already asked you. All right? Uh, but, uh, but they know that when, we, when someone says, hey, can I borrow you tr your truck? We also mean the driver. Right, guys? Kevin's just staring at me because he knows that's the truth, right? So no one really wants to borrow the truck. We want to borrow the truck and the driver. Well, it seems that the boat's the same thing, all right? So Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? And then he says, Peter, I need you to drive it. So Jesus preaches from Peter's boat, and Jesus and Peter have a conversation about proper fishing techniques, and you can read the story. Jesus suggests an alternate approach to fishing, Peter gives in to Jesus' unusual request. Peter's thought is that sometimes the fish just aren't there, but I'll do kind of kind of get the idea. He says, I'll just do what, what this guy says. The nets then are interrupted by an unusually large catch of fish. There's an, it's an unusual time of day to catch fish, and it's an even an unusual manner for catching fish. But all those things take place. And then up on the screen, it says, when, Pe when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Peter begins to realize who he's in the presence of. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him, because it didn't make sense. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. And now this is how uh, the story diverges a little bit from the shepherds, right? The shepherds go back to their flock. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And so my thought on these two stories as I was pre preparing is sometimes the interruption changes what we do. And it changes where we go. And Peter and his fishing companions went from fishing at a local fishing business to become disciples of Jesus, preparing to launch a global movement. And so that's a pretty big task that, that will be placed upon them. But sometimes the interruption doesn't change what we do, and it doesn't change where we go. The shepherds went back to their flocks. They remained shepherds. There was no, hey, you'll no longer be caring for sheep, you'll be caring for people. They didn't hear that. They went back to their flocks. The shepherds were changed, but they remained shepherds. But they became, as Randy shared in our preaching meeting, I'm going to give you props. They became shepherds with a story. See, sometimes the interruption changes what we do. Sometimes it doesn't. But the interruption always changes who we are. It changes who we are. The story of Christmas is that Jesus, Jesus changes everything. That Jesus entering planet Earth as a baby changed everything. And so every week when we gather for worship, whether you're here or you're in Voorhees or even at another uh, uh, congregation, we get together on Sunday mornings to celebrate that Jesus entered our world and that becoming fully human and fully God is a big enough deal that we should worship a God who would do that. 
that we celebrate Jesus' teachings about life and we celebrate how we are to live as people who are changed by this God that would choose to come from, from heaven and invade our planet in a sense and to come and be part of our hearts and lives and to change us. We celebrate Jesus' single purpose for coming to earth, to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And we celebrate that there's this, a new life is possible to anybody, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what they thought in the past. And we believe that we can live this new life because of Jesus' life, because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's why we gather every Sunday. That's why we're here. We do that. And then we go home. There isn't a call at the end to leave your jobs and leave your homes and we're going to go out and fish for people. We don't make, we send you all home. And on Monday, we go to our workplaces and we go to our home places and we go to our school places. And while oftentimes we're challenged to be like Peter, and oftentimes for some of us, there's this reorienting of our lives, and it even includes a vocational change. Peter and friends left their nets while the shepherds went back to their flocks. I want to challenge you this morning to be more like shepherds. that I think that we can see our workplaces and our home places and our school places as interruption opportunity. As interruption opportunity. See, as a pastor, I may never meet the people that you meet at work or the people near your home or the people at your school or your club or your organization, and they may never attend church but they will see you Monday through Friday. I have an occupational hazard. I spend the majority of my time with Christians. Everybody I work with at my job is a Christian. At least, God, I hope so. <laughs> they all are. They all know Jesus. When I talk about Jesus, they know exactly what I'm talking about, and they know exactly who Jesus was and what Jesus did and what Jesus offers us. I have this occupational hazard. I don't know a lot of people who don't know Jesus. And so I have to fabricate this in a sense, in that I come up with ways to be with people who don't know Jesus. So one of the things I started doing, and I'm not going to tell the whole story because this is next week's story. It's a little bit of a teaser. I started going to a barber pause there. I realize I have no hair. I haven't had hair for 30 years, all right? I know that, all right? I shave my head with a razor in the shower. No more detail needed, all right? It's a real simple process. It takes about 30 seconds, okay? Put some stuff in, and you're done, all right? I've been doing that for a while. It's great, but I have a beard, and I like being pampered, and so I like the idea of sitting in a leather chair and they lay the chair back, and they put hot towels on your face, and then they straight razor shave you. If you've never been straight razor shaved, it's awesome, all right? It's really cool, and you kind of feel like the mafia, like you're going to get whacked, you know, because, you know, you're like, it's just like a mafia movie, you know what I mean? It's really cool. Anyway, all right, so I do that, all right, because I like to be pampered, but I also discovered that my barber isn't a Christian, and I'm like, 
this is going to be, she has no idea what's coming her way over the, the next decade of time that we're going to spend together. I spent a long time figuring out where I was going to go, and I was based a lot of it on the conversation. If they weren't chatty, I didn't want to go back. If they were in Philadelphia, there was a toll. And so I tried to find a place. Anyway, that's why I did that. I had to fabricate this relationship now, okay? I have this pseudo friend who's a barber who I pay $10 to trim my beard every four weeks. Because I hang out with Christians all the time. But you, you are strategically positioned. You are shepherds with a story. And every Sunday after our experience together, you get to go back. And you have a story to tell. You're strategically positioned for interruption opportunities. Now, I know that for most of us, there is a reluctance to talk about faith. And, I, and you're going to hear in my story next week that it's not easy, all right? I don't just run around just talking about Jesus to every person I bump into. It's just not that easy. I get that there's some uncomfortableness, there's some reluctance that we may have about talking about our faith. And, and I, I think there's at least four, at least four that I've found. Uh, the first is there's temperamental reluctance. Some of us are just painfully aware that we're just a little shy and we're introverted, and we're reserved. And so talking about faith is just plain frightening. That's, that, that can be true. I get that. that, that that's one of our reasons. Another one is cultural reluctance. Uh, we've been raised to keep to ourselves. And you don't talk about money, politics, or religion. We just don't talk about it. It just seems like it would be rude. So there's this cultural reluctance. For others, there's a theological reluctance, right? For some of us, we're just, um, we believe that some people are gifted at it, and, uh, and I'm just not one of them. Or we're concerned that we'll say the wrong thing, and someone will be misguided forever, and we'll be to blame, right? So we just have this theological reluctance, say, what if I mess it up? And then there's others who have a motivational reluctance, right? We just have a fear. We don't necessarily have a desire, maybe. We just have so many things going on. We're just so busy, it just doesn't come up. It's just not on the front burner. But here's the hard truth. Is that it's really not an optional extra for us. Talking about our faith is not optional it's not only for the professionals, but it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Yesterday, we had 15 families in this space uh, for our first ever gingerbread event. 15 families, we knew one a little bit. So we would say, oh no, the, the Johnsons were there. We knew one and a half families, all right? We knew the Johnsons, and then we knew another family we think we may have known, met them before. But otherwise, we had 13 and a half, let's just say 14, that's weird. Uh, we had 14 families that we never met, have never been to worship before. They had fun. We invited the Mount Laurel Police Department to come. They came over as well. And, and those policemen were so good at building gingerbread houses. They were, they were like a big hit, all right? I uh, got some pictures on Facebook of me with the policemen because 
That's always cool because I look old and decrepit next to them because uh, they're all young and built, and I'm just like... <sighs> I, I swear I stood up straight and tall, and still you look at the picture. I'm like, yeah, sure. I should have shaved for him. Um, we invited them over, and we had a great time, and we'll invite them to something else. But they had fun, and they met some folks from a church and we just had nice conversations about Christmas, about gingerbread houses, about, about kids. We had the librarian come over and read a story about the gingerbread man. I acted like I liked children even. It was really good. But it's not optional. Let me offer though that there's a way for us to do this and not feel uncomfortable. It's really not my way. Paul offers this as a way. It's that Paul was writing the letter to the Roman Christians, and he was writing a letter to them about how to live as Christians living in Rome. And he offered these ideas. It's up on the screen. He said, love from the center of who you are. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on. For dear life to good, be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. So I just want to pause there for a second. So notice that he talked about love, goodness, avoiding evil, practicing humility. I think it's possible that we could do those things Monday through Friday, don't you? Wherever you might find yourself. He goes on though and says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. That means we believe something good is going to happen. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. I notice that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Paul says don't burn out. How do you stay fueled? He says, be inventive in hospitality. How do you do that? One of the ideas we had that uh, Bill Walenda in the back there is, is a big fan of, and we hope to pull this off, is he wants to get a local ice cream truck and go over to Laurel Lakers Park and just tell the ice cream guy, hey, you just want to give away free ice cream for an hour and then just talk to people. That's pretty hospitable. Probably a little pricey, so I'm hoping Bill's going to fund it too. <laughs> but what a, what a neat way to just say, hey, we're the church, and we just thought it would be fun to have ice cream together. Paul goes on and says, bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath, even when you're driving. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Do you know how unique it is to bless your enemies? That is standout behavior. How about being there for your friends, both laughing and crying, good times and bad, right? And he talks about humility again and again through this. Then in verse 17, he says, don't hit back. 
discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. And then he goes on and says, our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch, or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. These are all behaviors that we can and should live every day in our workplace, our home place, and our school place. Now, I'm doing a little scripture mashup myself here. There's another scripture, and this time Peter is talking to some fellow Christians, and he's doing the same thing. He's suggesting here's a way that we can live this Christian life in this world that we live in. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's up on the screen again. It says, if, your heart and, if, if with heart and soul you're doing good, do you, think you can be, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at, att keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ your Master. And notice he says this, Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. Let me say that again. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. So he's suggesting that it's possible that as you're living this life and you are uh, uh, being humble and you're striving, uh, you're loving, you're striving towards good and running from evil and you're forgiving enemies and you're blessing enemies and you're doing all those things Monday through Friday, that it's likely that there are people who are going to come up to you and say, how do you live like that? What is it that inspires you to do those things. So the person who takes my blood at the doctor's office that I go see every three or four weeks, uh, when I'm there, uh, she didn't know that I was a pastor. I never lead with that because that's like the kiss of death in a conversation. All right, with someone who doesn't go to church is that you're a pastor. And so for a while, we had conversations. It's like fun now for me to see how long I can not talk about being a pastor while I'm a pastor. And so I'll have these conversations with people. And so she was asking me different things about what I did. And I was saying, oh, I'd done this thing one time and I was, doing, I was, I was in Cuba and, I'm, and, uh, and I broke my back. And she says, really, how'd you do that? And I'm like, all right, man, now I, I just outed myself. Now I got to tell the rest of the story. So I said, I'm a pastor. And she says, you're a pastor. You're just a regular guy. I was like, man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. See, this is 
your life. This is my life. This is our whole lives. This is our lives together. This is a, a marathon, not a sprint. We are going to choose to live life out in the open in a world that is trying to live polarized and trying to run from those who disagree with us, running in fear from those who are different. We are going instead to be sheep in a field, sh or sh shepherds in a field, watching over sheep, and, and be shepherds with a story. This is the way of the church, and it is the way of Jesus. That Jesus chose to move towards people who were far from God. He engaged in conversation with people who had a misunderstanding of God. That people who were far from God were drawn towards Jesus. They were intrigued by Jesus and who he was. And I believe that that's the life that God calls us to. That's the response we should have to the interruptions that we see. That they may not be an interruption, it may be an opportunity for us to engage in conversation. That our gatherings on Sunday morning, that when we're here in our celebration mode, when we're here encouraging each other, when we're here worshiping a God who would love us no matter what, that when we leave here Monday through Friday, we have opportunity to tell a story of why we would live this way. What would inspire us to live a life like that? I believe that's the kind of talk about faith that we can do that would change our towns. It would change our communities. It would change the places that we work in. So let me pray for us. So God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the men and women in this space. I pray, God, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us, that you would lead us. That, God, we would know that your work in our hearts and in our lives is not something that we can keep to ourselves. But, God, it should be something that we can share and communicate with the world around us. That, God, there is a way for us to talk about faith. There is a way for us to live out our faith that doesn't require us to become, to become professionals. Instead, we are men and women with the story. And so, God, I pray that as we go throughout our workplaces and our, our, our home places and our school places, that no matter where we are and when we're in those circumstances that we would notice the opportunities that you may give us where we could talk about our experience on Sunday morning, where we could talk about our faith and talk about the reason for living the way that we choose to live. And God, I pray that the men and women that see us in our workplaces and our home places and our school places, that they would be inspired to ask us why we choose to live that way. God, I do believe that this is opportunity for us to change the world around us if we would be that inspired and that challenged. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And before I dismiss you, I want to ask for just one moment of privilege. I want to invite Lonnie up front here. Come on up, Lonnie. Uh, Lonnie has been part of Hope for over a decade and on our staff at Mount Laurel as our worship leader for almost two years almost two years. Uh, Lonnie believes that God is interrupting her life uh, at this time, and she has accepted a position at St. John's United Methodist Church in Turnersville as their director of worship arts. 
Uh, I reluctantly said yes. Uh, I'm not sure I had a choice, uh, but when she, <laughs> she shared it, uh, we said yes. I don't think it was permission. Was it permission? No. You don't have to answer that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Lani, Lonnie's last Sunday with us will be January 12th, okay? So it's coming up soon. Uh, I want us to uh, have this moment just to thank Lonnie for her service and the leadership, and we'll be doing that over the next couple of weeks. But uh, let me pray for her, and then I'm going to send you to the back, and then people will have lots of questions for you. Okay. So God, I thank you for this time, and I pray, God, that you would continue to be uh, uh, with this community of faith and with the, uh, uh, the plans that you have for us. And God, that you would also be with Lonnie and her family as they uh, make these changes and these steps that you, uh, uh, she believes this is the direction you have for her. And God, we will uh, 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 trust in that, and we will uh, help her along the way in that process. God, we pray for all the details that are included in that. God, we pray for uh, St. John's Church as well as they will be receiving her. We pray, God, that they would receive her with joy and excitement and that, God, we will uh, uh, send her out with the same joy and excitement. And so, God, we thank you uh, that you're a God that knows every plan, that, God, you have uh, uh, things under control and in order. And, God, uh, it's our job to, to know the, uh, the steps that you're leading us. Thank God that we would go in those steps. And so, God, we thank you for these things, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, if you all stand with me, let's thank Lonnie now. So as you go, I pray that you would go knowing that there's a God that loves you with his whole heart, that he loves you enough that he would rather die than live without you, that Christmas is our reminder that, that Jesus would choose to leave his throne in heaven so that he could reign in our hearts and lives forever, and that there's a world out there that is desperate to know of that kind of love, and that the lives you live Monday through Friday matter in the lives of the other folks that live around you Monday through Friday. Amen. Have a great day.